Was it joy, or did something else come to your mind? Last month at Mount Hope, we did a series on rest, and we took several weeks to look at what does the Bible say about rest. This time, we want to take a look at maybe what might be the other side of that, and we want to talk about work. What does the Bible say about work? And to be honest, one of the reasons we want to look at this topic is because most of us spend most of our time at a place called work. Whether we're working for an employer at a job or we are working around the house for our family, we are doing work. So what does the Bible say about work? One of the things we want to do in this series is take some time to talk to some people at Mount Hope about their work. So today, we're going to talk with Justin Joseph. And many of you may know Justin from his work at Mount Hope, preaching sermons and leading classes, but that's not really your main work. Your main work is teaching students at Boston University. Would you say that you feel like a call to work and teach in the university? I mean, because a lot of times in church, we talk about calling yeah. and we talk about ministry functions or what we call kind of quote-unquote ministry functions within the church walls often on a Sunday. Yeah. How do you think about call and your work in the university? Yeah. I, th I think this is a question I've wrestled with a lot over the years. Uh, is preaching my calling or is teaching at the university my calling? And I think I keep going back to this, that I am primarily called to someone more than something. And I think of it as I'm called to God wherever I go. Mm. And whether that's in, um, in at Mount Hope or that's here at BU, I feel like I'm called to God first and foremost. There are some specific ways I look at it, but I think what fuels me or helps, has helped me the most is Acts, the, the book of Acts where the Apostle Philip, where he's called, and how does the Holy Spirit call him? He just tells him, hey, walk south, is all he tells him. And Philip has this incredible encounter with an Ethiopian official and leads him to Christ and baptism and this is amazing moment. But all the Holy Spirit told him to do was walk south. And the rest was him figuring it out as he was walking. And so I look at every day as part of my calling that I leave North Reading every morning and I just drive south. And along the way, I'm interacting and constantly on call for God is what it, what it, what it feels like. I want a student to walk out of that room on that last day of class knowing that everything I experienced about this guy over the last 13 weeks actually came from this faith. It didn't come from this place where it's his teaching skill or it's his business acumen. It was based on who he knows as his savior. I think many people that might be joining us, you know, watching this video might say, wow, teaching in a secular university as a Christian, um, that's gotta be some challenges that, especially the day and age we live in, yeah. social media, you know, every hot topic, everybody looking to cancel somebody or, you know, gotcha somebody, that, that must be, there must be some challenges to that. It's going to be challenging, but that challenge is where the opportunity lies because over 130 countries are on this one square mile right now. And that means I have an opportunity to reach people that I would have never had an opportunity to reach before. In fact, if I think of some of my students who have come to Christ, they never had heard of Christ before. They had likely never encountered a Christian before. And it was over the course of many interactions over years that they eventually came to find faith in Christ or at least explore it to a greater level. And so I think that's where I see the opportunity because in a world where everyone is thinking differently uh, from us as Christians, the Christian worldview can be very unique in that place and can start to say, hey, look, 
I have something that you may be looking for. And I think if I can live in such a way and speak in such a way where they're hearing that, they're more likely to be open to it too, I think. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Any other places where you see your faith intersecting with your work? One of the, one of the things I love about this is we see your gift of teaching operating within a church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and we often think of, when we think of gifts that God has given us, we think of, oh, how can I use them for the con gathered congregation on a Sunday? Mm -hmm. But you've been gifted as a communicator and a teacher, and that is actually your Monday to Friday right. job, and we benefit it from the church. So, so your, your gifts that the word has given you are being able to operate Monday to Friday, not yeah. just on Sunday. Yeah. I, I th that question is a great one, Pastor Rick, because I, and I think this is something we stress in base camp here mm -hmm. at Mount Hope too. I don't see them distinctly separated, mm -hmm. right? Now, my situation might be very easy to picture. He speaks in front of audiences Monday through Friday. He can speak in front of an audience on Sunday. It feels mm -hmm. like, all right, there's a natural connection there. But I say the same to any one of our, our folks in church right now who might be saying, look, I do something that has nothing to do with what happens on a pulpit on a Sunday morning. But there is deep connection to whether it's anything from how to deal with people, how to be kind and loving to someone, how to check in on a person, how to pray for someone. These are gifts that God has given the church to be utilized in ministry. And so for me personally, yes, I feel like my, uh, my preaching and my teaching are completely intertwined. But it's also the ways I behave too. For example, I go to church on Sunday and you or one of our preaching team members might be talking about how to show grace or how to understand the love and the mercy of God. And you'll read verses like, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And then on Monday morning, I'll have a student asking for an extension or a student that cheated on a test or a student that's uh, clearly using ChatGPT for their, their project. And I will look at that and I'll say, my mercy is not as far as the east is from the west. And I've got to learn to keep what I learned on Sunday to inform what I do on Monday through Friday as well. And so... So much of what we learn on a Sunday does inform my work, but it goes the other way too. That's great. Well, I appreciate the way you have thought through this aspect. And I'm hoping that this series at Mount Hope will help us to think through how our work and our faith intersect and how they really aren't compartmentalized or a separate aspect of our lives. Yeah. Thanks, Justin, for taking the time today. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everyone. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Mount Hope. And I get the opportunity to open up this series with you. And part of what we're going to do in this series, in fact, we've already filmed at least one more of these videos, and I know the others are on the docket, is to interview people about their work and as much as we can to do it on site where they, where they work. Uh, and so we really appreciate Justin doing that. Justin's so articulate. And so it does such a great job of framing this issue. Uh, I almost get up here and I say to myself, well, do we need a sermon after that? Because everything that, that he said, and maybe you're asking yourself the same thing. Do we need a sermon uh, after all of that? Um, I mean, we at least have to fill the time. So we'll just fill the time here for the next little bit. But I, I, hopefully there's more to say. I want to I take some time and, and try to frame what we're going to talk about. Because we did talk about rest a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was sitting back there with my wife, and Andrew said, uh, does anyone remember the sermon series that we did uh, before Global Outreach? And I heard this voice right behind me. It was my father-in-law, Peter. He said, rest. And I was so impressed because I didn't even know he listened to any of the sermons. And not only did he listen, but he remembered. 
We talked about rest. He told me it's his favorite thing. That's why he remembered. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but now we're going to shift, though, because uh, one of the things that, that I read recently, there's a book called The Fo- um, uh, There's a book by a gentleman named Tom Nelson. And in the book, he says, you know, many times pastors do their congregations a disservice because they preach and prepare them for, for the, the smallest amount of time of, of their day. Like maybe their devotional time or, or, or family time. And, and we almost ignore what becomes the longest part of many of our days, which is the time we spend at work and in the workplace. So we want to take that time to talk about that. Because I think one thing that's true, it's true for me, and I bet it's true for you, is that it's really challenging to connect what happens on Sunday morning to Monday morning. It's really challenging to do that. I feel that. I don't know if you feel that. And you may say to yourself, well, but as a pastor, it must be easy. Let me tell you something about people in ministry and how they work in ministry. It's really hard for people in ministry to connect what they preach about, what they talk about on Sunday mornings to what happens throughout the week, just like it is for you. Many of you that I talk to, you, it's almost like you feel like undercover agents when you go out into the workplace. And some of you, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not really at work right now. Well, some of you are students, and you feel this when you walk into the classroom. You feel like an undercover agent. You wonder, what would really happen if, if all these people around me knew that 24 hours ago, or whatever your work schedule is, that a few hours ago or two days ago, I was sitting in this room singing songs about Jesus and listening to a sermon. Like, what would they really think? Some of you, it's, it's your family. It's, it works this way in your family, too. What would they really think? If they knew that this is what I was a, a part of or what I was involved in or what I believed. And I, I, I feel that too. When I first started uh, in, in ministry <laughs> too many years ago now, uh, I was working full time in sales coming out of seminary. And then I was just volunteering at, at the church. It happened to be Mount Hope. And I was volunteering at the church. So I'd go to work during the day and then I'd volunteer and I'd feel this tension like, how do I connect these things? Now, a couple of years ago, I went, I went bivocational again, which means that I have my, my job here at the church, but that's part time. And I also have, have a job uh, out there in the big, bad, scary world, like many of you do. And I also am out there every week working. And I feel this tension. I get out there into a workplace, into an office, and I'm working with people, and I wonder to myself, what would these people think if they knew that on Sunday I was going to get up and I was going to open a Bible, and I was going to act like it was the authoritative word of God, which I absolutely 100% believe it is, and that it matters for our life. What would these people think about that if, I, if, if they found out? So... Uh, I don't know, so if they bring it up, I'll, I'll talk about it, but, but otherwise we're just going to do our work. And then I come into church, and I'm a pastor, and I wonder to myself, I wonder what these people would think if they knew that like during the week I'm in offices and I'm, I'm working with people in a corporate setting. So I won't bring it up unless, unless they say something. Here, it feels like I'm doing something Christian. Out there, it feels like I'm doing something very secular. And I don't know if anyone else in the room feels that. That tension between trying to connect 
what we do here on Sunday morning with Monday. And I know many of you, you go into some of your teachers in a classroom. Some of you work in a corporate environment. Some of you, some of you work in a retail environment. No matter what environment you work in, some of you are in home care. Some of you are just going home and caring for your family throughout the week. And you're saying, it's really hard for me to figure out how to connect what we do on Sunday morning back to what I do during the week. This whole series is about that. How do we connect it? The challenge is, is there's this thing in our world that says, ultimately, if we can figure out how to handle work and embrace work, we'll figure out how to find meaning in our lives. If we can just figure out how to handle this thing, we'll find ultimate meaning in our, in our lives. Uh, if we could, in some of us, we try to figure that out by saying, yes, if we can figure out how to handle work, it will bring meaning and purpose. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to embrace grit. I'm going to embrace hard work. I'm going to embrace never giving up. I'm going to embrace all the inspirational quotes that I can find online. And I'm going to give everything I have and all that I am to my job. Because if I do this thing and I do it hard enough and long enough and I come through the obstacles and I fight through everything, eventually this thing will give me some sort of sense of value or purpose. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the side of things that says, you know what, forget all of that. The big bad corporation owes you nothing and you owe them nothing. Uh, So you know what you should do is you just take your paycheck and you quiet quit and you find out all the things that bring you meaning and purpose and value in your life and you do those things and you take advantage of the fact that you can get someone to pay you for your work. In fact, quiet quitting was the big thing not too long ago. And more recently, NPR just had a, had a series on people that are, are taking advantage of the workplace by working two virtual jobs at once. So they're on one Zoom meeting, and they are, their camera's off, and they're participating in that meeting. All the while, they've got a second Zoom meeting going on on a second monitor, and they're working two jobs at once, and nobody knows. And so that's pulling back from work. And saying, I know this thing's not going to give me satisfaction, but if I pull back from it and I take advantage of the situation, maybe then I'll find some meaning and purpose. We come to Scripture, and Scripture says either one of those approaches is trying to get lemon juice from an apple. You're trying to squeeze something out of work that it can't give you. You say, well, if I just approach work correctly. If I, if I don't give myself all the way to it or I give myself all the way to it, I'll find meaning and purpose. And Scripture says you, you're, you're trying to, to find something where it can't be found. And yet, Scripture says work in all of its forms is a good thing. So all of that tension that you feel, that we feel, that exists in Scripture, we're talking about over these next few weeks. I want to introduce you this morning to somebody uh, who has tried to deal with work in the Bible and found it to be true that no matter how they interact with work and labor or the good biblical word that gets used here is toil, how they deal with all of those different things, uh, no matter how they've tried to do it, work is not providing the meaning and satisfaction that they want it to. And this is the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you were to open up right in the middle of your Bible, you'd probably find like Psalms, Proverbs. And if you went a little bit further, Psalms, Proverbs, you'll find Ecclesiastes. 
And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18, the author is talking about work, what, what he's experienced in work. And this is what he says. He says in verse 18, chapter 2, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether or not he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. I, listen, I mean this. I personally love the book of Ecclesiastes. I love it. Like, it is top three for me. And sometimes I say that. In fact, it came up when I was talking with someone not too long ago. And you've heard what we've just read. And they said to me, really? How can you possibly like that book? Because you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and the author of the book, he goes through all sorts of of different things, whether it's pleasure or education or work. And basically, at the end of the book, he says, at the end of all these things, it's totally, utterly meaningless. There's no purpose or value in it. And he sounds a little bit like somebody who, who needs some help, to be quite honest. Many people read the book of Ecclesiastes and they say to themselves, this is a, a pessimist who, who needs some psychotherapy, maybe, maybe some Lexapro or something to help pull them back from the edge, and somebody needs to help this guy a little bit. Right? I'll tell you why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I love it when things are, are straightforward and simple. This is my personal preference. I don't like when I have a list of if you do these 38 things, like then you'll be doing what God wants you to do. I want it to just give me the bottom line. And what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is the book of Ecclesiastes is honest. It's honest. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Learning, work, pleasure. They can't give us what we're ultimately looking for. That's just true. And the writer of Ecclesiastes just says it. But he also gives a very simple, true solution. At the very end of the book, in Ecclesiastes 12, he says these words. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commands. It's the whole duty of your life. And I love the straightforward simplicity of that. That helps me. That works for me. Because when I get out in the middle of my day, it's hard for me to remember the top 15 things I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian. But in the craziness of life, I can remember, fear God, keep his commands. That's my job. So I love that straightforward simplicity that the author of Ecclesiastes brings. And when he talks about work, he says the same thing that he says when he talks about many things. He says this. He says, trying to find ultimate meaning in work 
it's like chasing the wind. And I love that phrase. That phrase comes up over and over and over again in this book. It's like chasing after the wind. You're never going to catch it. And if you do catch it, it's not going to be what you hoped it was. There's an old Christian book uh, that I read a long time ago. In fact, I can't even remember exactly what the title was. But years and years ago, I read this book. And the author, uh, he, he was talking about this sort of concept. But he said, uh, it's, almost, it's, like, it's also like dogs on a, on a dog track. You know dogs on a dog track? And I know they don't do that much anymore. But they had that, that fake bunny that would circle the dog track. And the dogs would just chase the fake bunny. It's, and the author said, that's like us with our work. We're just chasing after something that we can never actually catch. And even if we catch it, you know what we're going to find? It's just a fake stuffed bunny. And it can't produce for us what we need it to produce. And the author of Ecclesiastes is just honest about it. The Reverend Tim Keller, who recently passed away, uh, was a pastor in, in the city of in Manhattan for, for many years. He was on MSNBC, on the Morning Joe show on MSNBC, talking about work as a Christian and as a pastor. And he said this for all of us who, especially in a city like New York, in a place like Boston, people are prone to chase after work, chase after meaning in their work. Keller said these words when he was on the, on the show. He said, here's the deal. When you make work your identity, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. If you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. It destroys your self-worth. And there's something very true about that that, that all of us experience. And the question becomes okay. Knowing that work can't provide everything that I want it to provide, and knowing that it's really difficult to connect what's happening in this room right now on Sunday morning back to uh, what I'm going to do now for the rest of my week, whether that means I'm going to go and my primary place of work is in my home, or my primary place of work is remote on a computer, online, my primary place of work is actually in a corporate office or a retail space, my primary place of work is in the classroom, uh, you're going to go listen to teachers all week. Wh how, what are you supposed to do as a Christian who has to work? Well, in this text, the author of Ecclesiastes, he says it's just stop in complete despair. He provides something else that I think is important for us to pay attention to. And this, I think, is the answer for those of us who are Christians who are wondering, how do I take what I do in my life with Jesus Christ and apply it to what I do at work? The answer is somewhere in here, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24 through 26. He writes this. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the, given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving 
after the wind. If you look at verse 24, right? The author says, yeah, work is ultimately meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. It can't provide you what you want it to provide. So you can do one of two things. You can, you can either go headlong into work, being very optimistic that eventually you're going to find something that actually matters here if you have enough grit and determination. Or you can completely withdraw. And by the way, the author of Ecclesiastes does both of those things. He says, I worked really hard, and then I realized one day that I'm going to have to give this to somebody who didn't work for it. Some of you in the room right now, you're like, yeah, I know. This is, I'm facing this right now in my life. I'm going to have to give it to someone who didn't work for it. And who knows? Who knows if they're going to handle it well or if they're going to become reality TV stars? Who knows what they're going to do with it? Who knows if they're going to handle it well or if they're just going to splurge on partying and just waste everything that I created? And so he says, so I withdrew. If I was to, if I was to put that in modern day language, so I quiet quit. And I just stopped. He says, neither of those were good options. But there is a way, he says, to find enjoyment in work. But it comes from only one place. It comes from God. For apart from him, the author says, who can eat or who can have enjoyment in anything? So what does that mean? I think the author of Ecclesiastes is saying something that's true throughout Scripture. That there is meaning in work when instead of worshiping work, you worship the one who created the work. Tim Keller, in his appearance on that, on that morning talk show, didn't stop at the end of the quote that I read earlier. He also said this. He said, faith in Christ gives you an identity that's not in work or accomplishment, and that gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful, you have some ballast against the storms. Work is a great thing when it's a servant instead of a Lord. Work is a great thing when it's a servant instead of a Lord. How do you, as a Christian, take your faith into work? I mean, when does that happen? When I was first in, in a, on a sales team, this was 2006 maybe, uh, it was so long ago that Pastor Rick wasn't even the senior pastor of Mount Hope. That's how long ago that was. He's been senior pastor of Mount Hope seemingly forever. Uh, but Pastor Dr. Bob Crosby was the pastor of senior pastor of Mount Hope. And I graduated seminary, and he actually he, he asked me if I would preach on a Sunday morning in Burlington. So I preached on a Sunday morning in Burlington. I went to work with my sales team. Uh, I used to work at this company that was a logistical company. They delivered packages. I won't say which one, so I'll just call them Downs, all right? And so I worked at Downs, and, and uh, I was on the sales team. So my sales team, there we are, right? And, and we're in the room, and somehow, I can't remember how, it came up that I had preached at my church the Sunday before. So here was the deal uh, when, I, when I worked there. You had to come in in the morning, do all your, your calendar and work stuff, go out during the day, do all your sales calls, and then, this would never happen today, you had to come back to the office and spend another couple of hours updating your calendar and all sorts of stuff. So 
we came back to the office one, one afternoon, and someone was like, I want to hear the sermon. And everyone else on my sales team was like, we do too. So we sat, I mean, it's, it stinks to watch yourself on video or listen to yourself, but do it in a sales office uh, in a corporate environment. So there we are updating our calendars, and my sermon from the Mount Hope website or wherever we had them in those days is playing in the office with the whole team while we're listening. Now, here's the thing. Here's the question. Is that when faith comes into the office? Only when something like that happens? That's only happened to me once. Does faith come into the office when what I, what I do in corporate environments now is I'll go and lead workshops? And there's a, a gentleman at our church. He's actually one of the elders at Mount Hope, Vera Moglachurla. He owns his own print company, printing company. So when I need materials for the workshops, I, I go to Vera and I say, Vera, can you print me up these booklets or these whatever? And he says, sure, no problem. But he always writes on the outside of the box, for Pastor Brian. So I walk into the office, the big you know, office in Boston with all my brochures and pamphlets, and I lay down the box, and sometimes somebody goes, hey, why does it say for Pastor Brian? Who's Pastor Brian? Is that you? And I say, yeah, it's me. Here's, here's the reality of, of, my, of my world. And then we get into it, right? Is that when faith comes into the office? For you, does faith only come in the office when you finally work up the courage over coffee to ask your coworker if you can pray for them? That's a good thing. But is that only when faith comes into the office? As we talk with people about work and how work and faith combined, it seems to me that most of us, our answers of when faith comes into work are only when we have these massive moments where finally, you know, the wall gets torn down and we can say, this is really who I am. This is really what I believe. And you can have an in-depth conversation with a coworker that that's when faith comes into the office. Now, those things are great. You are called to evangelize. You're called to care for people. You're called to show them the love of Jesus Christ. But the text of scripture says something different. The text of scripture says there is a way to be faithful and Christian just by how you go about your daily work. That yeah, you might have moments where finally you get an open door to share the gospel with a coworker. Finally you get an open door to pray for somebody, but the the Bible does not make that separation the same way that many of us do. The Bible says, listen, there is you should be going about your work and finding your enjoyment, the author of Ecclesiastes says, in God. So when you find your enjoyment in him, and that's where the seed of your hope, the seed of your purpose, the seed of your satisfaction is. Now you go into your office and somehow just the way you go about being an entrepreneur or the way you go about managing people over instruments at, at a pharma company or the way you go, I don't even know what you do, or the way that you go about whatever it is that you people do. That there's something Christian in just the way that you do the work. That there's something biblical in the way that you do the work. That there is enjoyment that comes from God as you're caring for patients or as you're teaching your students or as you're, as you're preparing the annual financial report. That the two should be so intertwined that even as you're responding to email. There's an enjoyment in the work that comes from the Lord. And the way you do that work comes from the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. How do we do all of those things? 
not just the, the, the big moment when I finally get to break through and, and pray for somebody, share the gospel with them, but I so just go about my work in such a way that people say there's something different about that person, the way they manage, the way they lead, the way they participate in the team meeting. There's something different there in the way they respond to emails, in the way they respond to team's messages. There's something unique, and I want to know what that is. If you know me, uh, you know that my favorite type of reading are what I call the airport books, right? I've said this before. The airport books are those leadership books that you find in the airport, right? It's like, it's like scholarly research for a pop culture audience. That's exactly what that is. It's like Bob Ross paintings, right? It's like not high art, uh, but, but it just makes it palatable for everybody. And one of the things as I read the different airport books, I got two of them going right now. Uh, as I read the different airport books and as I, as I get this advice from people that are, that are in charge of how do teams work together and how do, how do people lead and all those sorts of things. One of the things that strikes me is how many times the big overall lesson in the book is something I already learned here. They'll never say it, but the big overall lesson of the book, I already learned it here. The research is interesting. The examples are interesting. But the lesson I could have gotten here, all truth is God's truth. Should not shock me that the research proves, right, that this is right. A book like uh, Good to Great, which is, which is written by Jim Collins and was um, over 5 million copies sold of this book. And maybe some of you have come across this book. Maybe some of you read this book. And that book, there's five years of research that are done with 21 research associates. And Dr. Collins, uh, well, he was a professor at Stanford. And he had this huge research group in Boulder, Colorado. And they did all this research. They studied companies that for 15 years, their stock beat their, their sector's average for 15 years. And they said, all these companies who are performing at high levels for a long period of time, what do their leaders have in common? And they found out after all these research that level five leaders, they call them, the upper level leaders, they have two things. And all the company leaders, they had the same thing in common. One, they lead with humility. And two, they lead with a mission larger than themselves. And then I come back here and I say, wow, didn't Jesus say that the last would be first and that the first would be last? Peter Sange, uh, Sange is, is at MIT, and actually uh, Greg Detweiler gave us this example when we were in our preaching meeting this week. Peter Sange is over at MIT, and since the 70s, he has been, he has been um, studying work groups and cultures. And what he, he says that, that companies are at their best when they're learning organizations, is what he calls them. He has all this research and all this experience and all these examples over decades and decades of work. And in his book, The Fifth Discipline, which is a book that has sold over a million copies, he concludes that learning organizations embrace the concept of metanoia, which is a Greek word. Metanoia is a, is a Greek word that is also found in your New Testament. In fact, it's found in your New Testament 56 times. Uh, 20 sometimes as a noun and 30 sometimes as a verb. Does anyone know uh, off the top of your head how the Greek word metanoia is translated in your New Testament? You get five bonus points if you know. <laughs> Andrew knows. How is it translated, Andrew? Tell me. 
Repentance, right? When it is, when it is a, a, a it, it's often like repent in the New Testament. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry about the bad things that you've done. Repentance or metanoia is a, is a radical shifting of your mindset and, the, and, the, and the, what your heart longs for. And so when the scripture calls us to repent, it says there should be a, a great change in what you think about and what you love. It should be reoriented from the things of this world to the person of Jesus Christ. And part of that is confession of sin and saying you're sorry, but our heart and mind get reoriented. And Peter said, he spends all of this time and energy and money and he goes out and does all of this research and comes back and says, you know when organizations work at their absolute best? It's when they're repentant throughout the time that they work together and they're willing to open up their mind and their heart to be changed and to shift and do all of these things. And I read these books and to me they're super interesting, but I think a lot of time and money and energy and paper could be saved by just getting up there and saying, guess what? Jesus is right. He's right. And if you, as a follower of Jesus, would so find your enjoyment in him and your purpose in him and your meaning in him, you would just go and do your work and find enjoyment. Because it's not tied to the fact that you sent that person a team's message and they haven't responded, even though you can see they looked at it. (laughs) That's not where your enjoyment comes from. Because your enjoyment doesn't come from the fact that they gave the quarterly presentation and they put, your, they put 17 names on the title slide and they left yours off. It doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from the fact that, that you got an 89.9 on the test, but if you had gotten a 90, you would have gotten an A- minus instead of a B+. Plus. It doesn't come from that. It comes from somewhere else. So by the way you go about your work, There is enjoyment in who God is and who he calls you to be. So over the next four weeks, this is what we're going to do. Next week, we have Dr. Steve Machia here. I'm really excited about the fact that Dr. Machia is here. Dr. Machia is the head of the Disciple Building Project up at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is also an author that has written... I don't know, 15, 20 books. I don't know how many books he's written. All I know is when you go to his website, you have to hit next to see all of them. They can't all fit on one page. So that's a lot of books. Uh, and Dr. Machia will be here next week. His, he wrote a book called The Discerning Life. And I love the, the, um, the subtitle of that book, An Invitation to Notice God in Everything. And so he'll be here next week to talk about what that looks like. How do you notice God in everything that you do throughout your week? And then we're going to talk about the gift of work, why your work is a blessing from God and not a curse. We're going to talk about how your work participates in God's redeeming work. And we're going to talk about how your work, what you do, has eternal significance. The Apostle Paul, we saw how the writer of Ecclesiastes says it. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, whatever you do, that's so key. The Apostle Paul in Scripture is he's not really worried about your ability to build your resume and build your career. It's more about whatever position you have right now, who are you and where do you find your enjoyment? Where do you find your purpose? Where do you find your significance? Whatever you do, Paul says. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, you teach preschool, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Your personal trainer, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Your head of compliance, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You do medical billing, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You drive for Uber, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, Paul says, you are serving the Lord. Listen, many of you, many of you have a challenge, and I know that you have this because we talk about it. Andrew hears about it, I hear about it, we hear about it as your pastors. You have a challenge right now because more and more you are asking the question, can I actually do what I do and still be a Christian? Because you're a school teacher and the way the public schools are shifting the curriculum, you're asking yourself, can I actually still work here and still be a Christian? Uh, some of you have other jobs where it's, you're facing the same thing. Your company's doing something or, or something's happening within the, and you're saying, to yourself, you're in HR and you're saying to yourself, can I actually do this job and still be a Christian? That's a different question than what we're talking about here. You need to deal with that. But if you are doing God-honoring work, Work that you feel like, and I think that's a really personal thing. So I, I have no blanket statement for you if you're struggling with that. You need to wrestle with the Lord and say, God, are you calling me out of this position? Or are you asking me to stay here and to be a light? You need, that's a wrestling that needs to happen with the Lord. And I respect that process. But whatever you do, Paul says, wherever you feel like you should be, whatever your assignment is, the call is the same. You're serving the Lord in that work. I'm going to invite the worship team back as we, as we prepare to close this morning. The call that I hear in Scripture as I read Ecclesiastes, as I read the Apostle Paul, as you leave here and you go back to retirement tomorrow, which has its own work associated with it, you go back to being at home tomorrow, caring for an elderly parent, caring for some children. You go back to the classroom tomorrow. You go back to an office tomorrow. You go back to logging in to 17 hours of virtual meetings tomorrow, whatever it is. What Paul is saying to you, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to you, is you can worship while you work. In fact, you should worship all your work. That there is a way to go about your work in which you are bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that you have to get on the call and, and shout from the rooftops in an inappropriate time who Jesus Christ is. But where you find your enjoyment, where you find your purpose, where you find your meaning will so overflow into that interaction that you will worship. Seven dwarves had whistle while you work. I think scripture has worship while you work. Right? If it helps you. you. Think about that this week. How can you worship while you work? Six months before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to um, a group of junior high students in Philadelphia. He gave a talk that said, what's your life's blueprint? That was the name of the talk. And he said this, 
He said, when you discover what your life, what you will be in your life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Don't just set out to do a good job. Set out to do such a good job that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a street sweeper who swept his job well. What does it look like for you to worship while you work? I'm going to ask our worship team to begin playing. I'm going to ask you if you would just to take a moment and to pray. Pray for work this week. Pray that God would help you find enjoyment in what you're doing. Pray that that God would help you to be so satisfied in him that it would just overflow into the work that you do. Pray for your boss, your teacher, your coworkers. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that, and then we're going to close in song together. God, we thank you that you care about every aspect of our lives. That we don't have to live compartmentalized lives where we go into the bunker of church and are one thing, and then we go out into the world and have to be another. Lord, thank you that you are there and you provide the satisfaction and purpose and meaning that work can never provide. But because of who you are and because of who the relationship that we have in and through you, through Jesus Christ, that we can go out and weather the storm of work, weather the storm of the week with enjoyment and with fulfillment and with hope. God, in these next few moments of quiet, thank you that you hear us as we pray.